0: Moldova and you see little churches dotted here and there but for the most part they're so lost you know they have no idea and they're just they're like sheep having no shepherd and uh, I tell you if, if it does not move you with compassion then something's wrong and uh, you know that's exactly what happened with Christ and if we could see through his eyes the world and not just the world but our neighborhoods you know uh, it would change us and it would make us want to tell other people about Christ and so it's, um, we're glad for opportunities to have missionaries that are that, that are going to uh, these other countries that can represent us in other places. And uh, we may never go to Argentina, you know. I'll never probably know Spanish fluent enough to give the gospel to somebody in that language. Um, but God gives us representatives that can go on our behalf. And so it's, it's good to have the Underwoods here. I'm glad for what they're doing. Pray for them. Uh, he mentioned it in, during Sunday school. But they're supposed to leave in in 16 days, right? 15 days. And uh, now the Argentinian government has banned any travel from the United States into Argentina for 30 days. So uh, that's going to delay them leaving and everything else. God knows, and it's all in his hands. But just pray that everything will work out for them to be able to get there. Uh, But they have prayer cards back there. Make sure you take one. Uh, I know many of you took took one when he was here before, uh, September, I think, late September. Um, but if you did not get one, grab one and uh, make sure you pray for them. Um, it is a responsibility that we have to the missionaries that are going out to these different parts of the world to pray for them. And so uh, let's make sure we're doing that. Brother Stephen, come on up here and preach for us. Amen.
1: Hey man, take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3. Last time I was here, I preached out of Philippians 4, and uh, I I just shared with you a couple of lessons that God had uh, used in that passage to teach me uh, while on the mission field. And and just as a a quick reminder, those two lessons were, number one, we need to learn to control our thoughts instead of our thoughts controlling us. And uh, especially right now, we see exactly why. Uh, You see, the uh, the moment that we allow fear to take grip in our life then uh, our decisions, our attitude, and everything is based upon our feelings, our emotions, and not by faith in the Word of God and and uh, and the God of heaven. And uh, we're told as Christians that we live this life, we walk by faith and not by sight, and it's not our circumstances that dictate uh, our outlook and disposition on life. So we got to learn to control our thoughts instead of our thoughts controlling us. Lesson number two, during that was to expect nothing and to be grateful for everything. Uh, expect nothing and be grateful for everything. And right now we're also seeing that. We live in an entitlement society. And uh, the world teaches us that if somebody else has and you don't, well they got it by ill will and you deserve what they have, so take it. And, uh, you know, with uh, everybody hoarding all the toilet paper, I can begin to understand if they have it and I don't, I might need to take it. But... <laughs> We're told to expect nothing and to be grateful for absolutely everything. You realize that we deserve to be in hell. We deserve to be eternally separated from God. But because He loved us, He gives us that which we do not deserve. And by His grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have a home in heaven. And I'm just so thankful that uh, there was no good deed that I could do. There was no way that I could merit His love, but He willingly and freely offered it, and because of His grace upon our life, we have that which we do not deserve, and that's to be forever with our Savior. And so today we're going to look at Philippians chapter number three, and like that m- message in Philippians 4 was called Lessons from the Mission Field, This, these are a few lessons that I would like to talk to you about that the Lord has taught me during this furlough. So uh you know, if we're going to give it a title, I would say it would be Lessons from Furlough. And, uh, you know, one thing about the Christian life is that if it, the day that you stop growing is the day that you start dying. And so if we're not students of the Word, if we're not being conformed into the image of Christ, then uh, we are not no longer growing. And I just always want to be growing and learning. And a lot of these lessons that we see in the Scriptures are lessons that often we have to be reminded of And taught not only on a weekly and monthly basis, basis, but a lot of times on a daily basis. So look with me at Philippians chapter 3. Going back to verse 1, Paul starts talking about how um, uh, his his past, essentially his spiritual resume, if you will. We'll begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, finally, brethren, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you Uh, To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. He's saying, listen, I'm reminding you of some things, and it's not an inconvenience to me, but I want to remind you of some of these things because it's safe. It's going to help you. It's going to encourage you. He says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. He's saying, hey, you need to watch out for false prophets, for false doctrine, and you need to be on guard of that. How do we be on guard from false... Uh, prophets and false doctrine, well, we get to know the, the Word of God and we get to know the, uh, the God of the Word. And so we've got to constantly be students of the Word of God. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh where uh, that he hath path whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. You know what Paul's saying there? He says, listen, if any of you think that you have a right to boast in the flesh, he said, I, I, I've got you beat on that. And then we go through this and we see why. Look with me at verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Notice what he says in just those three verses there. He says, listen, if you want to talk about someone's spiritual resume, I check all the boxes. He said, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew among Hebrews. Concerning zeal, nobody held a candle to me because I was a persecutor of the church. He said, in that day and age, if you wanted to check the boxes of what it meant to be religious, he said, "I, I checked them all. He said, but I counted all of that but for loss. He said, I may have checked all the boxes of what it means to be religious, but there was no real relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, I was as lost as everyone else. In verse 8 he says, Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered all, uh, the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ." and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is uh, of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Notice verse 10. That I may know Him, this is His desire, this is His heart being poured out, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. What Paul's saying there, he says, Listen, my greatest desire, my heart's desire is that I just know Jesus Christ. And that I know Jesus Christ so intimately that I know the power of his resurrection. You understand that the resurrection is the very anchor by which our faith is secured. The resurrection, if Christ be not raised from the dead, then all of this is in vain, but he is risen, he is alive. He did ascend into heaven and He is coming again and our faith is anchored in the promise of Jesus Christ's return. He said I want to know Him so intimately that I know the power of His resurrection that I have fellowship with Him even in His sufferings. You see, a lot of Christians today, they don't mind having a relationship with Jesus as long as it's within their realm of comfort. You know, I wonder even in here amongst us, We would say, you know what, I want to know Jesus as long as He allows me to stay right here at Mount Victory Baptist Church. Or I want to know Jesus as long as we get to stay right here in the community of Richmond, Virginia. It's all right for me to know Jesus and have a relationship with Him as long as it doesn't take me out of my comfort zone. And a lot of people, your comfort zone may not it may not have anything to do with another country. It may be, as Pastor said, your next door neighbor. You know one of the hardest challenges, one of the biggest challenges of, of sharing the gospel with others is our own pride and fear of rejection. You know why? Because it takes everything off of us and it puts it uh, on Jesus Christ. You know, there's absolutely nothing that we can lose from it. If they reject us, they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting Jesus. But we have a fear, this innate fear of rejection, and we don't want to be told no. And so the only thing that holds us back from sharing the gospel is our own pride. He says, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection, having fellowship with Him even in His sufferings. And then notice this, being made conformable unto His death. Paul said, listen, I just want to know Jesus so intimately that if it were called upon me, if if God were to request of me uh, 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 a, a, a job that would require my life, that with an uplifted hand and an open heart, my answer would be, Lord, here am I. Send me. I just want to be conformable unto His death. Notice verse 12. He says, Not as though I had already attained, Either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Notice this Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So, lesson number one this morning. Lesson number one, I have not arrived. And that's okay. Did you get that? If you would, take in your Bibles there and just maybe put a circle around the word apprehended in verse 13. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. That means to arrive or to grasp. Paul throughout this whole chapter is saying, listen, I'm constantly being conformed to the image of Christ. I'm constantly growing and changing. My faith is increasing and I have not arrived. And he reminds us, he says, listen, that's all right. It's okay that your faith is still being tested. It's okay that you don't know as much as you uh, need to know yet, because we have this life ahead of us to live, and each and every day we have the the responsibility to be more like Christ tomorrow than what we are today. He says, "I have not arrived; I have not apprehended, but this one thing I do: forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto the things which are before." You understand that the Christian life that this is a process. And it's not about a product. A lot of times what we like to try to do is we say, Okay, uh, here's the goal. Now how do I go from zero to the goal? And we forget that there's an entire process in order to reach the goal. The, the truth of the matter is, is that as, as long as we work the process, as long as we stay close to the Lord, we're in His Word. We faithfully assemble together, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, the world but we uh, encourage one another, we challenge one another, and so much more as we see the day approaching, we have these things that we can do that are part of the process, and we quit worrying about the product because that will come. You know, one day we'll stand before Him. Our uh, fleshly, uh, 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 all of the things of this life, all of our flesh, we're going to have a new body, we're going to have Uh, a a new heaven, a new earth. All these things are going to pass away and one day we will arrive. But that's not yet. And the reason, as we said in Sunday school, that the Lord stays His hand of returning at this moment is because He is long-suffering and He wants the world to know that Jesus Christ has come and that He is the Savior of the world. And we must work the process. How do we reach an entire country with the gospel of Jesus Christ? By sharing it with one person at a time. It's about the process. It's not about the product. He says, I have not arrived. You know, a lot of times in my, in my, with myself, I put on myself these expectations. Expectations. I think, okay, well, these churches expect us to be able to produce and I have to have something to put in my prayer letter so that when I send it back, they can see that we're doing this great job. And what ends up happening is we put these expectations on ourselves and when we fall short of those expectations, guess what? We get angry. We get frustrated. And so a lot of times that can even turn to Bitterness. Not only do we put, put, fresh, uh, put expectations on ourselves, but it's amazing to me that the moment that we start putting expectations on ourselves, we start putting expectations on others. And you understand that no one is going to be able to live up to your expectations. And what that causes is it causes division within the, the body of Christ. If, if, if so-and-so is not as far along in the Scriptures as I think he ought to be, then, then I get frustrated. If Tulasi's way misses church, then I, I get frustrated. But I've got to understand that I can't be putting expectations on Him that are unattainable. We have not arrived. And I want you to understand, that's okay. That's not an excuse, but it's okay that we're not perfect yet. And you know what that does? That takes a lot of pressure off of us because we work the process and we quit worrying about the product. You see, as as we work the process, you understand, it's God that produces the product. As we share the gospel, as we preach and proclaim Jesus Christ, it's his word that he promised that would never return void. It's not by enticing words that we can do. It doesn't matter how eloquent of speech I can give. It's not by some great three-point alliterated outline that I could preach to you. It's by the power of the Word of God that God produces fruit. And He has promised us that His Word among every tribe and every tongue and every uh, country around the world that it will not return unto Him void. Aren't you thankful that that removes all the pressure off of you and I? expectations. What about this? We put a, we put these expectations and goals in mind and I think that's perfectly fine for us to be able to plan and shoot for those as long as that's not our focus. But you know what tends to happen as well is we start to believe our own hype. Let me tell you the ugly side about missions. All around furlough, on deputation, it was the same thing. Deputation, in order to raise your support, you're going to end up having to be in 300 churches. Out of those 300 churches, 100 of them are going to need to take you on for financial support. There's 152 uh, normal services throughout the year, so you have the potential in two years to be in those 300 churches. And that's not including off nights and missions conferences and things like that. So you try to schedule your meetings as packed in in those two years as you possibly can. If you really work it, then you can get it done and and be on the field and have your full support and all of that. But here's what happens. We go to churches just like yours and we come in and they say some really nice things about us. They treat us really kindly, just like you guys have. And before long, you start hearing that week in and week out. You go to one church and they talk about how you're the hero. You go to another church and they talk about the major sacrifice that you're making. And all of a sudden, you've heard it enough, you start to believe your own hype. You know what the problem with believing your own hype is? You can't live up to it. It's impossible to live up to. The pastor had pointed out a minute ago, if, uh, if, we had, if there was one more Manning brother, then we could have... You know, there is one more Manning brother. Uh, his name was Cooper, and that's Nealon's middle name. So <laughs> it was said that Cooper was the better of all three of the brothers, and he had a um, a, a uh, muscular disease that they found in college that kept him from being able to advance. And so now he's a successful businessman out in Colorado. And uh, he, it's funny, there was an interview of him, and they were asking him about his brothers, and he, he kind of got irritated. And he says, you realize I have more money and make more money than my brothers do and uh so there but there is a third manning brother you know i tell people i say when peyton and eli came along we were not missionaries so we didn't give a rip what we called our kids by the time neil came along we were already committed and so we weren't backing down then so uh but they they are named after the manning brothers and we are big tennessee fans so that's where that comes from but uh I remember when we were in South Africa. It was the 2016 and 2017 years. It was the last two years that Butch Jones was the coach at Tennessee, and uh, he had had uh, five years to to try to turn the program around, and he made some decent strides and all of that. But one of his uh, one of the complaints that everybody had about Butch Jones was that these uh, four and five star recruits were coming to Tennessee but they weren't, being, uh, they weren't growing and they weren't maturing. They weren't being taken to the next level, and that fell upon the coaches. Which, you know, I understand Dr. Lee Robertson said this. He said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And so if there's people that are not moving along or being discipled uh, well enough, it's it, the responsibility doesn't fall on the child. It falls on the one that's leading the child. If, if, if my son that's four years old by the time that he's 10 years old, doesn't know how to go to the potty by himself. That's not on him. That's on me. And so we, uh, uh, so I understand the gripe and complaint about uh, Butch Jones. But I remember during those seasons, we were in South Africa. We were really excited. We were going to get to watch some of the games. Uh, we, we had it uh, set up to where we could record them and watch them the next day. And um, I remember building up to the season, there were all these what they called hype videos. And these videos, it was it was kind of it was kind of discouraging. At the same time, they were really good videos, and they really got you hyped up. But they would show these highlights from previous seasons, and I remember seeing some of those highlights, knowing that that season before we had lost the game. And I mean, if you can imagine, you're having to make your hype videos out of out of uh, videos out of games that you lost anyway. And I remember they were showing these hype videos, and they were trying to get everybody. Uh, going And that year, that season, Tennessee did not win a single SEC conference game. You know what the problem with uh, and believing your own height? When you can't live up to it. And Paul said, listen, I have not arrived. But that's okay. We are still being conformed in the image of Christ. We are still... Uh, We still have a life that we should live constantly growing and constantly learning. And it's all right that you haven't arrived because the moment that you feel like you've arrived, the moment that you feel like you've already attained, guess what you stop doing? You stop growing. And the moment that you stop growing, you start dying. Not only has he not already, already alive, but lesson number two, he says, learn from your experience but we can't live in the past. Learn from your experience, but don't live in the past. Notice what he says. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before. Learn from your experience, but don't live in the past. One of the things that, I'm just going to be transparent with you this morning, one of the things that I struggle with is my own personal insecurities. Uh, I know you would say, "Well, how in the world does a preacher or a missionary have insecurities?" Well, I'm going to tell you, preachers are some of the most insecure people that you'll ever meet in your life. As a matter of fact, when we leave here this morning, if if at least three of you don't come to me and tell me how great the message was, I'm just going to think I'm a failure and I ought to quit. I'm just kidding. But we've got to we've got to learn from our experience. God has allowed us to go through things in life and in ministry. Uh, to learn from, but we cannot live in our past failures. Not only can we not live with the past failures, but understand this we can't live with past victories. If we're still trying to pull from yesterday's pull, then we are missing out on what God has for us tomorrow. We learn from our experiences, but we forget those things which are behind and we press forward, reaching unto those things which are before. Learn from your experience. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from your victories. But don't live in the past. One of the unique things that God has allowed me to do while on this furlough is I've been able to reconnect with a lot of my Army buddies that I'd served with. And uh, and I tell you, one of them named Pete Amos. He's a first sergeant now, and he's getting ready to retire next year. And uh, I've had supper with him, and I, I sit there across from the table, and I'm talking to him, and. He was one pay grade ahead of me in the army, and I'm sitting there going, you know, if I'd have just stayed in, then I'd be pushing retirement right now. And I, I'm 35 years old; I could be drawing a military retirement. I'd have all the uh, uh, all the, the the rank that comes along with it, and I'd been able to do more schools and do all these things. And I'm sitting there going, oh, if I'd have just stayed in. But if I live in that past, then guess what? Guess where it handicaps me for tomorrow. I cannot live in the past. We can learn from our experiences. I believe with all my heart that God has allowed me uh, to learn some very valuable lessons in the military that prepared me for what he has for us in the mission field today. I remember sitting there across from him at supper one night, and I told him, I said, he asked me, he said, Do you miss it? And I, I remember sitting there saying, Pete, I said, I love you guys, and y'all are my brothers. But the bond of brotherhood that I feel and have with men of God preaching and teaching the gospel all around the world, it far surpasses anything I ever had in the army. You know why? Because what we do today matters for eternity. You know, it's a great responsibility and an honor to serve your country. Can I tell you this morning, it's a great honor and a great responsibility to serve our King. And He is worthy. What we do today is It has everlasting rewards. All those rewards and all those those medals that I got serving in the army, all of those one day are going to be burned up and they're not going to matter for anything. But one day we'll stand before our Savior and we'll have rewards that will last for eternity. What you do today for Christ, that will matter Learn from your experience. But we can't live in the past. Then lesson number three, we still have work to do. So keep pressing forward. Notice what he says in verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul understood that his job wasn't done. You see, there was a, there's a job to be done, and there's a mark that we should press toward. But not only is there a mark to continue pressing toward, but there is a reward at the end. There is a prize at, uh, at the end. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I've fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, but not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. You understand that there is an eternal reward that's awaiting for you. We still have work to do. So keep pressing forward. Pastor had just said that, um, talked about uh, Jesus being moved with compassion because he saw the multitudes as sheep having no shepherd. And as a result of his compassion, he turns to his disciples and he tells them, he says, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. For the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. I was reminded of a story that I heard one time about an Australian farmer. His name was Albert Clifford Young. Anybody ever heard of him? Albert Clifford Young. It was back in uh, uh, 1970, and Australia was having their very first ultra marathon. I know uh, you guys run, and I understand that uh, it was last night, the night before that whole one-year challenge that you weren't able to do it, and so now you're out. Oh, the other brother. That one. Okay, back there. Are you? So you're still in it? You're still in it. Good. Hey, listen, the more that drop, the more uh, benefits you get at the end, right? So... Um, so uh, Australia was having this ultra marathon and uh, all these runners they had prepared, they showed up the day, they were in their shorts, their high-tech tennis shoes, they had on their, their, uh, their t-shirts and their numbers, they had their water bottles strapped to their waist and here comes farmer Clifford Albert Young and he shows up in overalls and work boots. And everybody's looking at him and they're laughing at him and they're like, what in the world is this guy doing here? He won't make it the first day. Well, the race begins, and all those runners that had prepared and trained for several months, they take off, and they leave Albert Young in a cloud of dust. They run and run and run, and they don't ever see him, and they think, okay, well, he's already out of it. And so by the end of the day, they've run. The, the race is four, 544 miles, and it's going to last for five days. And so at the end of the day, the runners, they, they pull over to the side and they, they set up their camp and they sleep and try to get a few hours before getting up the next day and continuing the race. But Farmer Young runs through the night. At some point during the night, he passes the group as they sleep and the next day they get up and they start running again and they catch up to him and they're all astounded. They cannot believe that this farmer has run through the night. He never stopped. He just kept going. The next day, they, uh, that next morning, they pass him again, and they run all day long, and they say, surely he won't last all day today. And so at the end of the day, they stop and they sleep for the night. That night, at some point, Farmer Young passes the group while they sleep. He was running a slow and steady pace, and at the end of the race... He beat every single one of those runners by 10 hours. By the end of the race, the media had come to him, and they said, well, what are you going to do with all of your prize? And that the prize for that, winning that race was $10,000. Today, it would have been the equivalent of $30,000. Farmer Young responded, I didn't even know there was a prize. You know what he did do with that prize? He He said, listen, I just feel so bad for all these runners that have spent all that time preparing and training for this. And he took his $10,000 and he equally shared it with all the runners of the race. You know, Farmer Young didn't realize that there was a prize at the end of his race. But you know what? We have a prize at the end of ours. We know that there is a reward waiting on us. So the media goes to him and says, well, if you didn't run it for the prize, then why did you run it and how were you able to run for five? days straight and Farmer Young responded he said all my life I've been following sheep I've been chasing the sheep a lot of times I have to run after them and round them back up because I know that the storm is coming he said when the race began I just imagined that I was running after my sheep and I was trying to catch them before the storm came and can I tell you today that as pastor already said, there is a world and they are a sheep having no shepherd. And they're waiting for someone that would protect them from the storm. What role does God have for you today? Farmer Young ran 544 miles imagining that he was protecting his sheep from the storm. And we don't have to imagine it. We know that there is a world that is lost and dying without Jesus Christ. We've got to forget those things which are behind. We've got to press forward toward the the prize and the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Knowing that our reward, it's at the end of the race. Father, we love you. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd bless this church. Lord, that you'd encourage their hearts today. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn from our experiences, but understand that we are constantly being conformed in the image of Christ. Lord, each and every day, we desire to be more like you, to know you more intimately. God, I pray, Lord, that that uh, knowledge would not just be kept to ourselves, but, Lord, it would be used for the furtherance of your gospel around the world. We love you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We're going to have an invitation here in just a minute, but we've been focusing very much on this this year, and we're not trying to beat a dead horse, but it's so important that we get the message of the gospel out to those who need it, and it's not just in Argentina, it's not just in all the rest of the parts of the world, it's here. They need the gospel here. And it's our responsibility to be a missionary to this area and to spread the message of the gospel. So let's make sure that we're doing it. The Lord has spoken to your heart as the piano plays and the invitation is open. You come.